Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. Training camp is underway. Officially today, Tuesday, July 26th, all 32 NFL teams are in training camp. They're all reporting. Veterans, rookies, everybody. So that's exciting. Football is here. I couldn't be more pumped, to be honest. Uh, I got Zach Rizzuto here with me. Let's get this thing. Let's get this thing started, Zach. What do we got for today? We're going to open up with some news really early out of Jacksonville's camp this week. It looks like James Robinson could be ready sooner rather than later for this season, and a recent report indicates that he'll avoid landing on the pup list to begin the year. With that being said and known. How high really is Travis Etienne's ceiling if he's sharing time with Robinson? So, so, so Robinson still isn't available. Like, they could have put him on the active pup and then just activate him at any point. But even though, you know, he's working on the side right now, right? He's not, like, on the field. So, I, it seems like they just want him to be around, I guess, you know? Um, so, he didn't get the official designation for being on the pup, but he's not really doing much work just yet. Um, the one concern that I've always had for ETN is the potential goal line opportunities. Uh, but like when you look at this offense, you're like, well, how many would he have gotten anyway in Jacksonville, even if he was the goal line back? Um, but l- listen, ETN still has a shot at 80 catches this year, uh, regardless if Robinson has that role. Um, you know, he, I don't think he's going to have that full early down role. I think, I still think ETN can finish as an RB1. I'm not moving him you know, down or up or anything because of this. Um, I have him at RB16 right now. I've had him at RB16 for a few weeks. Uh, and that is with James Robinson involved. Like, I I, I included that in my projection. So, uh, I see Robinson getting like 10 to 12 carries a game, something like that, you know, coming off the Achilles injury, having to share the load, you know, with a very good prospect in ETN, right? So, I, you know, when I'm looking at what I'm if I'm Doug Peterson, you know, the guy that I'm trying to get the ball in his hands is Travis Etienne, not James Robinson. But I think Robinson is going to be involved. I think he's going to be involved on early downs. And, you know, he's going to be that big back, you know, to kind of take some of that load away from Etienne. So, you know, Etienne's role, similar to what DeAndre Swift had last year, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, you know, that's the kind of role that I'm looking at for him. So, you know, you could say like five to six targets a game and then something like, you know, 10 to 15 carries a game. Right, that's what I'm looking at, and I think that right there is enough. If he's efficient enough on that work, uh, you know, score some touchdowns as well. Even if it is, you know, not a goal line touch, uh, I think he can finish as an RB one. I think RB sixteen, you, you know, he's going off the board as RB sixteen as well. Uh, you know, near the end of the third round, so uh, I'm not mad, you know, at that at that price. Um, and I think conservatively, <laughs> he should finish RB sixteen, you know, around there or higher. Right, I, I think that's a fair projection. Uh, even if James Robinson sees significant time in 2022, which I fully anticipate, actually. I mean, this report is encouraging. I figured he would be back, but this sounds like he's going to be back a little bit earlier 
than what even I expected. I think Travis Etienne's ceiling is still somewhere around mid-RB2, and he'll have weekly RB1 potential because of his receiving upside. At the same time, the report makes me a little bit leery of his current price tag as a late third-round pick, and I feel like taking him there would be a bit of a reach for me personally. But I do expect his price tag to go down once again and eventually potentially drift into that value range that I know you for us, you were targeting him at before we saw his price jump in the last month. So I think he could be yeah. a solid target for managers who neglect to address the RB position early in their draft, which we'll talk about more in this episode. But I'm ultimately going to guess that ETN ceiling is capped pretty significantly by Robinson if he returns as early as this r- report seems to suggest, especially because of the goal line work, like you said. I think that he'll still have the weekly RB1 upside ETN, but I don't think that it's going to be nearly as uh, consistent as it would have been, say, if Robinson took a little bit longer to return, came back halfway through the season. Yeah, yeah, I kind of look at Robinson as having a role similar to uh, what Jamal Williams had last year uh, with DeAndre Swift. It's a very, right. it's a very similar type of situation, but both teams weren't that great. Uh, you know, the, tar- the the target share was very ambiguous, right? Like you didn't know like who was going to get the rock. You knew it was going to be basically Swift and Hawkinson last year, right? Uh, and that's pretty much what happened until they got hurt. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of what I'm seeing here. They do have other wide receivers who are pretty capable, Marvin Jones and Christian Kirk and all that. So uh, nobody who's really you know demanding the ball. Uh, but you know I do see you know you know this not impacting him a whole lot. You know in terms of where he's being projected right now. Um, but yeah. So what what else we got coming out of training camp? So we have some rookie running back news. Josh Kendall of The Athletic reports that Tyler Algier could be the Falcons' lead back also sooner rather than later, quote-unquote, this year. Could Algier really supplant Cordero Patterson and receive a bulk of the touches this year? Yeah, I mean, he's been someone I liked this entire time, right? This is news that was kind of expected. Um, As soon as the Falcons drafted Algier, they released Mike Davis. And just because Mike Davis couldn't grasp the opportunity that was laid out for him at the beginning of the year. It doesn't mean Algier, you know, won't or can't, right? Like, I, I still expect Cordell Patterson to be involved in the receiving game, but I'd rather, you know, I I think I'd expect Algier to handle most of their early down work, you know, most of the goal line work. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much goal line work he's going to be able to get in that offense. I don't expect that offense to be great. But, you know, when you look at Algier as a prospect – I did like him more than a lot of people in the pre-draft process. I called him one of my favorite sleepers in my rookie draft kit, you know, someone I was targeting. Uh, 6.7 yards per touch in in his career at BYU, pretty damn good right there. He ranked fourth in yards after contact per attempt and ninth in forced missed tackles per attempt among all 39 FBS running backs with at least 200 carries last season. Um He's not like an amazing pass catcher. He's not so efficient, but he still brought in 28 of 32 targets last year, um, which is which is good. So at least he's capable of catching the football if he's running routes. And we did see Mike Davis. You know, he he's not he's not this efficient pass catcher, but last year he did run routes right. and they did target him when he did get that playing time. So it's possible that Algier. You know, remember this is the same coaching staff as last year, offensive coaching staff. So Algier could play that Mike Davis role, just be better at it. And that can maintain him to maintain that role that Mike Davis had early on in the year where we thought that, oh, Mike Davis is going to be the guy potentially, right? But the, right. That, that sizzled out real quick, right? Um, or fizzled out. Fizzled out. I think that's the word. Uh, fizzled out yeah. real quick. So, you know, <laughs> it might not be a great offense in Atlanta, but, you know, he's going in double-digit rounds. Not many potential starting running backs going that low. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm in on Algier, especially at his price. Right. 
And I, I think the Falcons, there's really no need to move Cordero Patterson out of the starting spot in the backfield. I mean, he's proven that he's a good playmaker for them. And he doesn't have a whole lot of tread on the, on the tire. He has a whole lot of tread on the tires, I should say. Uh, I said that backwards. But, um, you know, he, he hasn't received a full running back workload in his career. So I think that he has that going for him. Even though he's older, he's not, you know, worn out. With that being said, though, I could see Alger tighten his grip on the red zone and goal line duties. I think Cordero Patterson has a home in the receiving game because, you know, he has his roots as a receiver. He's a kick returner, too. But he, he's a running back, but he's not a pure running back. I think he'll handle the catching side of things. Um, he's proven too much for him to be relegated to kind of taking the back seat, I think. I think the Falcons like him a little bit too much to kind of just drop him right behind Algier. But I see a world where he handles most of the receiving work out of the backfield, and then Algier is the hammer at the goal line in short yardage situations. And Patterson, I think, ultimately will be the safer, more consistent running back of the Falcons' backfield. I'm not targeting, really, either of them. But Algier will be touchdown dependent with a weekly RB2 upside, I think, if he's able to, you know, take a good amount of the goal line carries, what I call money carries. (laughs) Right, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. If you haven't already seen it, multiple NFL teams have unveiled new helmets for the upcoming 2022 season after the league revised its one shell rule a few months ago. And this one's just a little bit more for fun than fantasy, but which helmet's your favorite, which one's your least favorite, and which one do you really have to see in action before you can actually make a full judgment on it? I, I, I love the, the matte black helmets that came out. Um, the Jets one, right? So I love that my team got a helmet. Makes me happy, right? right. Because they don't win. So I'll, t- I'll take a cool helmet as consolation. Um, the Carolina, matte black, dope, right? Like right. two terrible yeah. teams, two great helmets. <laughs> <laughs> so right. I'm, I'm, I, I love it. Now, I, I, am, I am going to um, update my rankings just a little bit, bump a couple guys up. I might bump up Brees Hall a little bit. I might bump up Elijah Moore a little bit. I might bump up Zach Wilson a little bit. Uh, on the Carolina side, I think I'm bumping up DJ Moore and Baker Mayfield just like by a spot because of the new helmets. Um, right. So yeah, I think that's that's fair. that's the fantasy <laughs> impact. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, my favorite helmet so far is probably going to draw some ire from you know the audience, but I love the look the Cardinals have going on their new black helmet. I, I think it'll pair perfectly with their current black alternates, the uniforms that they wear, and I think the red flecks are kind of disappear and reappear in the light. It's a really like unique touch. I like that. The iridescent logo is also really nice. The easy answer here, I feel like, would have been the Bengals. You know, everyone loves the Bengals helmets, the white Bengal tiger ones. That one's just dope, you know. They are, but, they are pretty dope, yeah. Yeah, no, they look really good, and they're going to look really good on the field, not only just, you know, in the photos that they sent out, but, you know, on the field, it's going to be really good. I figured everybody liked those, so I went with the one that I'm personally a big fan of, despite people kind of being like, oh, the Cardinals aren't, they're not unique because they're just a black helmet. Like, I, I think they're very cool. I think it could have been much more plain Listen, than what they put out. What people, do, what people don't understand is that you're a professional. You're a professional graphic designer. Like, you know what goes into these things, right? So, like, you come right. in from a I, different perspective. I noticed perspective, all these details. So I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, I, I'm ready I'm ready to just put <laughs> together some designs with these just for fun, dude. Like, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I hear you. I so, hear you. which one? Which one would you say is your least favorite? Though I, th- I feel like we might be in agreement on this one, but we'll see. My least favorite? Oh man, that's a good one. Now, initially, I kind of liked the Texans one, but I just feel like the logo was like way too big. So yeah, that, that, I think I'm going to go with the Texans said. one. Yeah, I think the logo. Like I can see the logo working out, 
But then, you know, you look at a guy like, and listen, no disrespect to Davis Mills, but the dude already has a long neck, right? <laughs> and then you're going to put that big-ass Texans logo on the side of his head. It might look a little the, awkward. Just a bright red helmet, yeah. <laughs> really just emphasize. <laughs> like, I know what you're saying. I don't. I don't think the Texans helmets are that bad. They're not my favorite, but I think that they could be all right. My least favorite. It's the Saints. I. I. And I hate. I hate to say it because they could do really well. They could have done really well with these because the color scheme is so nice with the gold and the black. But I don't know if they're going to be wearing them exclusively with the white uniforms, which looks really odd. That's what they kind of released them with. They have these black helmets with all white uniforms. I thought that was odd. It just doesn't look like the helmet belongs in the NFL. The mini Fleur de Lises going down the middle of it, they look like a designer handbag. Like, it doesn't seem like something that belongs <laughs> in the NFL. It looks like, like Louis Vuitton or something. I'm not even sure. I think that all the alternates right. that have been introduced are nice. I think the Saints ones, I mean, it's different. You know, I'll, I'll give them credit for that. It's different, but it feels a little out of place in my mind. I think if they wore them with the black, all black uniform, it would work. But with the white uniform, right. it's just like, I don't know what's going on. And then... <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, so then... Obviously, we haven't seen any of these in action. Which one do you, the which one's the jury still out on for you? Like you have to see it on the field before you kind of be like, okay, this is a good helmet, or no, this doesn't work, and I'll take it off my screen. To be honest, the, uh, the Bengals one, you know, I think oh. I so so I, the take. Bengals one, you know, in in person, you know, it, it's 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 cool, but I want to see it on the field. I want to see how distracting it is because it's a very unique helmet, right? It has like, you know tiger stripes going across the side of it and it's dope but like right. i want to see how it looks with the re with the rest of the uh the rest of the uniform on the field uh i have a feeling it's going to look great right but it's still it's one of the ones that i want to see on the field but i just have a feeling that i'm going to be very surprised uh you know at, at how good it looks <laughs> i have a good right. feeling about it but i it is it is one i want to see like on the field yeah i like the i'm just going off of what you're saying like the Bengals one i agree is going to be cool and i do want to see it but I feel like they could end up looking like the Cincinnati Zebras. <laughs> because it's a lot of black <laughs> and white it. striping. It's just like, you know, I don't want to make right. fun of them. But exactly. I mean, it's a cool helmet. But, you know, we do have to see that one in action. And the one exactly. that I want to see in action, we already talked a little bit about, was the Texans Battle Red Helmets. I can't really right. make a judgment on them. I'm actually a big fan of the red with the big logo. I mean, a lot of people aren't. But I think that can look really cool as long as they wear the red jerseys with them. Because if you put the red helmet on the blue, I think it's going to be too much of a pop. I want to see how they work with yeah. the red jerseys. It's either going to be slam dunk or just a big whiff. And I'm hoping it's a slam dunk, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, I don't think they're going to be, you know, wearing them and winning in those uniforms at all this season. But <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll yeah, be no, nice I to look at anyway. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, all right. That sounds good, man. Are you are you moving your are you moving around your rankings at all? Like because of these helmets, or are you kind of like keeping everything as is for the most part? I'll be keeping them as is, but I think you'll notice in our in-season rankings posts and, you know, the design of them, there'll be more alternate helmets than anything featured in the post because, you know, they're just too sick. I just got to make sure we get the photos of them. I'm using them as uh, early and often as I can. So you, you can count on that coming <laughs> up this season. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, draft strategies, the primary draft strategies uh, that we're all going to be using uh, in, in this year's drafts. We want to go over them, what they mean, how we use them, whether we prefer them or not, 
who are the guys that you could potentially get using those strategies um, and then, you know, which ones are our, our favorites. And then after we do that, we're going to go over some, you know, general draft advice. Um, just just a few tidbits to kind of keep in mind and maybe think about before your drafts, so you're, you're prepared um, to go into your draft, you know, as, you know, as ready as possible um, so that you, you feel confident, you know, not only during your draft, but once you're done, you're like, all right, well, at least I stuck to my plan and hopefully this works out, right? So let's right. let's start with the hero running back strategy, right? So this is where you grab one staple running back in the first round, and that's your anchor. And then you kind of do what you want after that, right? You're probably grabbing wide receivers uh, and even a, a tight end maybe over the next few rounds, uh, and then you kind of come back to running back in the fourth or fifth round. It's kind of like a modified zero running back, right? And you're probably wondering what a zero running back is, right? A zero running back, uh, you know, you can. I think this year, Zach, you might you might agree with me. I think this year you can really get away with zero running back, right? Like, and that means that you don't take a running yeah, back in absolutely. the first few rounds. Yeah, no, right? I'm 100 so, with you on that. Yeah, and if you don't take a running back for the first three rounds, let's let's start with first three rounds. Then we'll go to four four rounds, right? Let's say you don't take a running back for the first three rounds. You might have a shot at Brees Hall. You might have a shot at K-Makers in the fourth. And, you know, for them to be your running back one, who they could potentially end up being a fantasy RB1 this year, combine that with the maybe three elite wide receivers you took in the first three rounds. Maybe you took Travis Kelsey in the first. Like, you're sitting pretty right there, I think, right? Now, now let's say you don't go – now, what would you say zero running back is? Would you say it's like not taking a running back in the first three rounds, first four rounds? For me, zero running back, it's not so much as just like avoiding, you know, running backs completely till like the middle of the draft, fifth or sixth. I think it's just passing up on the premium talent, the proven talent that's there in the first and second round. And then the stragglers in the third, I mean, that's kind of where the dead zone starts. And that's where I consider it's like, okay, we're, we're out of hero RB territory. We're out of that. We're kind of approaching zero RB territory if you don't have a running back on your roster at that point. Yeah. I think this is one of the best mid-round right. running back crops we've had in a few years. I mean, just with the way players are floating down in the draft, I, I don't understand how James Connors in the third. Not that that's really um, a zero running back thing. He's early third, I think, but he's floating way down there. So I would have no problem scooping him up in the third round. I think he's worth a second round pick. And Cam Akers, I'm a big fan of. Travis Etienne's there, although his price is going up. Like, there's so many guys, Brees Hall, like you mentioned, that you could just get for cheap. I think it's absolutely worth prioritizing wide receivers because there's so many good wide receivers, too, in the first two rounds. 100%. So let's say you don't go running back even in the first four rounds, let's say, right? Like, you grab three wide receivers, you grab Travis Kelsey in the first round, let's say, right? Right. You probably got some bomb-ass receivers right there. Um David Montgomery, you know, you kind of you, you see him sometimes in the early fifth round. I love AJ Dillon at the five six turn, right? And these are guys that you're going to start targeting because you didn't go running back early, right? Right. Uh, Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders in the seventh is solid, right? Even though he told us not to draft him, <laughs> but that's why his price <laughs> right. drops so heavily. You know, there's going to be some value there if he stays healthy, right? And he's going to outperform that ADP if he stays healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. Tony Pollard in the seventh. He's like another RB, zero RB staple this year. Uh, I think Rashad Penny in the eighth round is almost a must if he's there for you in this build. Um, mm-hmm. I'm even in on Chase Edmonds at the 8-9 turn in PPR leagues as well. 
Um, and then you just kind of want to fill your bench with guys like Ramondre Stevenson, James Cook in PPR leagues, Rashad White, Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison, you know, guys like that who can step in, you know, with injuries in front of them and have, have you know, high-end RB2, RB1 upside. You know, that's kind of what you're banking on, right? Because you're combining right. these guys with the with the ridiculous wide receivers you have, um, and you don't take a shot at the early round running backs, who have a higher chance of getting hurt than wide receivers do, right? So instead, right. you kind of mitigate that risk and you take other running backs at a much lower cost, right? That's kind of the idea behind the zero running back strategy. Um, so you know, the the one good thing that I like about uh, a zero running back is that. It, 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 I think it does provide a little bit more flexibility, right? Uh, right. If yeah. you don't think that you have to grab a running back early, right? Because when you do, you're kind of pigeonholing yourself a little bit because mm-hmm. there are certain there, there are a lot there are a lot of wide receivers to go around. Uh, you might be able to grab some of those elite guys, and I might prefer the the zero RB strategy if you have a league where you're starting three wide receivers. And you have that flex or or multiple flex options, right? right? So I have a league where I have three wide receiver wide receiver spots and two flex spots. I'm drafting a bunch of wide receivers there because I'm only starting two running backs. You know what right. I mean? I could put those running backs in the flex. That that's fine. That that might work out. Uh, but you know, if you just have a bunch of like elite wide receivers, like you're going to be sitting pretty, and it's going to take one injury for one of your bench running backs to make it into your, one of your RB RB spots, and you're sitting really pretty at that point. Right, I'm 100% with you. And one thing I would say about zero RB is that I wouldn't really suggest zero RB for you know standard scoring formats, maybe even half point PPR formats. I think PPR is really the way you want to play zero RB and. PPR that's the way I would do it I think that there's just so much wide receiver talent like you said if you have three wide receivers in in your league or even an extra flex like they'll cover you as far as production they're going to catch passes in PPR they'll score the points for you that's kind of your you know safety net you're going to have a certain floor of points because they'll get you 10 15 points just off catches alone where running backs not so much. Some running backs, the running backs are going to be targeting are probably not going to be the guys getting a bunch of catches and receptions. Like Rashad Penny, I don't think he's getting many catches if you target him. I, I don't think that Ramondre Stevenson is going to get too many catches just because of how long he's on the field. You kind of have to offset that. And it's kind of the, the pill you swallow with zero RB that your RBs are not going to be carrying your team. And you're kind of going to be banking on, you know, those uh, spurt performances they are going to have a good week here or there. And then you just got to make sure you're starting them when they have those weeks. I think it does offer the flexibility, but there's also the risk of the running backs. But I, I actually think it's not too risky when you factor in, if you counterbalance that with the receivers that you take. So I actually start, I did a draft. I think it was last night. I started with Devontae Adams in the first round and then turned around and took CeeDee Lamb. I was at the 10th overall pick. This, I think this what's called strategy works best late in the first round. And then I just turned around. I took Cam Akers and Brees Hall in the third and fourth. And it's not as zero RB as you as you could make it. But I think that was a great start for what I, what I was looking for. A, a good mix of uh, floor and upside. I would love that. Right. I would love that. You know, if, if I get Brees Hall and Cam Akers as my third and fourth round pick, I combine that with two elite wide receivers. You know, what or or one elite wide receiver and one tight end, then it's great. Now, if you go running back heavy, 
right? That means that you're grabbing a few running backs in the first few rounds, right? So, right. you know, I, I like doing that sometimes depending on who's there. Like, you know, your league potentially can be overdrafting wide receivers and then the running backs end up falling. Um, and when you look at underdog, uh, you know, it's a little bit wide rec- more wide receiver heavy. Um, you know, they do tend to go a little bit earlier. So just keep that in mind when you're using underdog ADP. But if you grab three running backs in the first three rounds, you kind of have to combine them with like certain guys, right? Like not every wide receiver is going to hit right after right. that. But if you get, if you, if for me, if I can get guys like after the first three rounds, I got, let's say I grabbed three running backs in the first three rounds, boom, I'm solid at running back, right? My focus is going to completely switch to wide receiver, right? So if I can get guys like Cortland Sutton, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks, Rashad Bateman, Amara St. Brown, Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, you know, guys who can have big seasons this year, you know, this build makes a lot of sense. But you got to hit on those wide receivers, right? right. In the first couple of rounds, you're probably going to hit on those wide receivers, right? They're, they're pretty pretty safe, um, you know, and you're not – and, you know, if one, of the, if one of your running backs ends up getting hurt, then you got to depend on – you know, you got to make sure you build that depth. You got to make sure to build that running back depth either way. Um, but have you found yourself – doing these heavy RB builds, like, you know, even, you know, two running backs in the first two rounds, uh, first two running backs, you know, first two running backs in the first three rounds. How have you been doing most of your drafts? Just curious. So I, I've really kind of been avoiding RB heavy unless, like, certain things happen. So if I get, like, the fifth or sixth pick in my draft, that's when I kind of shoot and think, okay, maybe I'll consider going RB heavy because – I think that yeah. there's a big six running backs that I am happy taking in the as the first six picks of the draft. And that's Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Najee Harris, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, and well, who was it? That was it was it Dalvin? Dalvin Cook, yes, Dalvin Cook. So that's the big six. If I could take them, any of them at any spot, I think I'd be fine with it. But the thing about that is outside of those six, then it kind of becomes you know, for me, they're situational. They're weekly upside running backs. They're not like every week I'm going to be able to rely on them. Like Joe Mixon, I know he's on a good offense and he was very good last year, but he was he had hit weeks last year and he had missed weeks last year. And this is going to be a pass-first offense. So I don't really trust his upside to be as high as the six guys that I just listed. DeAndre Swift is the same thing. He has great receiving upside, but he has to stay healthy. And I think that's kind of baked into his second-round ADP. If I could do like Najee Harris in the first round, then turn around and get a guy like Aaron Jones or get a DeAndre Swift, then maybe I think about going RB heavy. But I don't think there's three running backs you could stack. You could realistically get three rounds in a row to make it worth doing that, if that makes sense. Because there's so much wide receiver talent you're passing on that's awesome in the first three rounds. And a lot of them are going cheaper than they should. Like Stephon Diggs, I think his ADP is kind of floating at the turn which I love. It, it is, yeah. So, so like, having him there, like, I think that's a value. And to pass on that, I, I think it's really difficult to do. And that's why I said you kind of have to settle in that sweet spot for me to hit RB heavy at five or six right in the middle of the round because at that point then anybody, any running back that drops to you will be a value. Because I think once you get past the top 14 or 15 picks of the draft, I'm not really looking to take a running back until the third round after that point. Yeah, I hear you. And and I don't always want to go like three running backs either. But then I see James Conner in the third and I'm just like, all right, 
I'm going to take James Conner here. He's going to be my flex, right? And right. I'm going to I'm going to just going to hit try to hit as as much as I can on wide receivers, guys who can break out. Uh, I've been taking Elijah Moore a lot. I've been taking Amara St. Brown a lot. Guys who can take a big step forward in year two. Guys who have shown it in year one can take a big step in year two. Those are the kind of guys that I'm hoping that I can land on my team. If I'm at the turn, a lot of times I'm taking both of those guys, Cortland Sutton, Allen Robinson, you know, guys like that who you can potentially get after the third. Um, so, you know, those are the guys I'm, I'm aiming for, um, you know, in, in that kind of build. But the problem is that you have to hit. And do you have backups if those guys, if those wide receivers get taken? If you right. don't, then you might be in a little bit of trouble at wide receiver, especially if you're starting three wide receivers plus a couple flex, uh, a couple flex options, or or even one flex option. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to I want to get into some of these these tips that I have that we have for just just your draft in general. Um, one was that to have backups for your picks, like what I was just talking about, right? Like you, you're right. so set on court, getting Cortland Sutton here in the next, you know, three picks, right? He is like the best wide receiver on the board. You're hoping that he falls to you, and that's all you're thinking about over the next three picks. And then the guy, guy before you snipes him from you. Now you panic, and you have like 45 seconds to make your pick, and you, you're going to be on tilt, so what I would do is, right. if he's available three picks before that, make a decision at that point. If Corton Sutton, pretend Corton Sutton's off the board, just pretend he's off the board. Grab, uh, or, you know, just just choose the guy that you would take if Corton Sutton's not there. Just assume that he's not going to be taken. Now, if he falls to you, great, you got your guy. But don't tilt during those forty-five seconds and then have to make a pick, you know, at that moment and regret it later. Right, so have some more time to think about it. Have backups for every one of your picks. Right, you hope a guy gets to you. Sure, that's great, but have a backup. Have maybe two backups just in case, um, so you not you you don't go on tilt, and then you kind of mess up the rest of your draft. Like you choose a running back and you're like, oh, I don't need a running back. And then you're like, wait, you know, I should have chosen a wide receiver. Now I got to go wide receiver heavy, and it could play a little bit of a domino effect on the rest of your draft. And you might end up not happy with your draft. So have backups for your picks. That's that's one of the most important things. Right, I I, I agree with you completely there. I, I find myself, you know, getting to that tilted point, especially last year when I was on. Oh, the clock. we all do. Yeah, and I was on the clock last year, and I said, you know what, I am taking Cooper Cup, and this is in the seventh round. I'm taking Cooper Cup. I don't care. I made the same mistake last year, the year before that, in twenty was it twenty nineteen? Yeah, I said I'm taking Cooper Cup, and I I missed him. The same thing happened this year. He got drafted a spot before me, and then I took Robert Woods, and the guy that took Cooper Cup won the lead, obviously. We all know how that yep. last yep. season played out. So <laughs> I agree with you completely there because I panicked and I took Robert Woods, and it, it was all right until he got injured. Uh, right. Some general advice that I have for drafts is, you, and this one can probably, you know, everyone preaches this, but not everyone practices it, is that you don't need to reach on players, even if you have a need at the position. Fantasy football is about building – the best possible team, and you can address any holes on your roster via trade after the season, after the draft is over. So if you're sitting there and you have all these running backs that you want to get, and they get taken off the board, and now you're sitting there, say you wanted like Najee Harris at you're in, you're at the sixth pick, you wanted Najee Harris to drop to you, you wanted Dalvin Cook to drop to you, none of them did, and now you're stuck. There's Justin Jefferson on the board, there's Cooper Cup on the board, there's Joe Mixon on the board. I think 
you can't really just take Joe Mixon because, you, oh, I want to go RB heavy, you know, and this kind of goes along with, you know, improvising, letting the board fall to you. Like, don't reach because you feel like you have a needed position. Take a player that even if, you know, you take a Cooper Cup, you take a Justin Jefferson, they're going to have value that if another team says, oh, man, I really whiffed on receivers in the draft. I want to, you know, build up my receivers a little bit through a trade. They might have a running back you want. Everything can be changed after the draft. You just have to be able to trade. If you're not happy with your team, collect as much capital as possible and then just kind of go from there. Because then now you can target players specifically. You don't have to think, oh, are they going to be available? You can make an offer to someone who has a player that you want. And you don't have to worry about reaching and, you know, taking a player that might have less value overall. And then you just devalue your whole team. So I I would say don't feel like you need to reach ever. Me personally, I go best player available pretty much any time. Unless, you know, you're sitting in the eighth round without a running back and you should probably get a running back at some point. (laughs) Yeah, and that falls right into what I was going to talk about next. And that's use tiers and be flexible. Right. And, and when I say when I talk about tiers, you know, you kind of bunch of I know we're going to have tiers on the website so you can use our our uh, our cheat sheet. But basically what we're going to do is like I have a bunch of running backs in one tier. I have a bunch of wide receivers in another tier and I'll, I'll be going through my draft and say like, wow, like there's a running back that's still there in tier two. But meanwhile, I'm in tier three of my wide receivers and there's a bunch of wide receivers there. And I pick again and I pick again in like seven picks. So that running back isn't going to be there in seven picks, but one of those six wide receivers in the, in that, in the tier that we're in right now is probably going to be there in seven picks. So why not take that running back now? And then I'll just grab my favorite wide receiver out of whoever's left in the next tier. Right. Uh, that way it's just a lot easier for you to make make up your mind. Right. Uh, you know, when right. you're trying to make a pick. Uh, and like you said, right, like that allows you to let the board fall to you. Um, you know, don't say, okay, I'm following the zero RB strategy. I can't take a running back at the end of the second. Meanwhile, for whatever reason, DeAndre Swift fell, right? Saquon fell. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there looking at you, right? And you're like, oh, well, I'm doing zero RB. I shouldn't take, no, take those guys, right? Because, you know, that means that there's going to be other value elsewhere, right? You got a great value at the end of the second. Take that value. Don't, you know, be so subscribed to whatever philosophy that you went into the draft with, right? First of all, don't go into the draft with any philosophy. Do a bunch of mocks, you know, on the specific platform that you are drafting on. Um, and when you do that, you'll be a lot more prepared. You'll, you'll, it'll, which picks make sense for the next, uh, for your next pick will be right there for you, right? The answers will be there on that cheat sheet uh, within the tiers. Right. I- I'm completely in agreement with the tier list because oftentimes, it'll come down to deciding between two players that you have ranked very similarly. And it's not necessarily that, you know, every player is going to have a bunch of players ranked. They're going to have their positional rankings right in front of them. Not everyone's going to be looking at that for their draft. They're just going to kind of go into it and think, you know, I think this player is better than another player, but say you're using like our rankings and you're looking at that and you're trying to decide, okay, the difference between the 13th ranked receiver and the 14th ranked receiver, say there's a tier list. The tier list does let you kind of differentiate that in real time, really fast. And I'm just piggybacking off what you said for us, but the tier lists, I'm absolutely using them. I've used them in the past and it helps me make a, make a decision, especially in crunch time where, like you said, a player comes off the board and suddenly you have to make a decision because you wanted that player. I think that the tier list is a great fallback 
even as like a supplement to the just overall rankings, you can do regular numerical numerical rankings and make your decisions off of that. But I think you can really differentiate the value that you see a player at with the tier list as opposed to the rankings because it's very black and white when it's just numbers and it comes to it like, oh, this is thir- this guy's a 13th ranked receiver on my list and this guy's a 15th ranked receiver on my list. But you could be looking at the difference between like T. Higgins, who is a wide receiver two on his offense, and Brandon Cooks, who's a wide receiver one on his offense. It, they're in different situations completely, but they're ranked very similarly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think one way to take advantage of that, like, like I mentioned, you know, use do mock drafts on the platforms that you're going to be drafting on, right? And use the ADP of that platform to your advantage. What I would do, I would print out the ADP list of whatever platform you're drafting on. This is what I like to do. I like to mark the guys you want based on your platform's ADP and cross out guys as they get drafted. Combine that with your tier list uh, and use that. Because the, the if you look at the platforms and the ADPs, they're completely different, right? Like right. if you drafted on Yahoo, if you drafted on ESPN, if you drafted on Sleeper, you know, and we're talking like redraft home leagues here, it's going to be different, right? And every home league is different too. So take advantage of it. You know, and on Yahoo, if James Conner is going in the third, but on ESPN, he's going in the second, right? And in the middle of second round, you're like, well, maybe I, I should wait because James Conner is actually going in the third here. I can get a baller receiver in the second. And then why don't I hopefully get James Conner in the third? If not, if he, if he, if he goes off the board, whatever. There's going to be another quality player there that you can take. But don't reach on James Conner because you just had a chance to combine James Conner with a better player, right? So that, that that's that's kind of piggybacking off of, off of your point where it's good not to reach. You, you know, you want to get your guys, like, especially if you're at the turn. Like, if you're at the turn, you got to get your guys, um, right. right, just because, like, they're not going to be there. But, you know, if, you, if you're somewhere between, like, the fourth pick, and uh, let's say the eighth pick or something like that, even the ninth pick, like you, you're, you're, you're at the kind of, you're at the point where you can potentially wait for guys to come back to you um, right. and using that tier list, using the ADP list. I think that those are all tools that could, that could help you uh, get the guys that you want. Yeah. And I agree with what you said too, you know, knowing the platforms ADP list that shows up because there could be guys that you're very high on that don't show up like what people are going to see like if you know the room some people might just look they might not have a plan they might just see the adp list and think okay this guy's ranked highest let's take him you know think about what people other people are going to be seeing as players get drafted a guy like james connor who's floating down really low right now in sleeper you might be a big fan of people won't see him you might be able to get him later because people might not even be thinking about that they might look at you know, oh, here's DeAndre Swift on the board in the second round at his ADP. Here's a guy like, you know, C.D. Lamb, you know, sitting here. They'll see those big names, and they won't think much about scrolling down. Just to see that James Conner's there, and he could be a value. They're not thinking even about that. So knowing your platform, the ADP, getting to know the ADP list, like you said, will definitely help you, I think, because then you can kind of almost predict what your league mates are going to do. And then that also piggybacks with another um, – point that I was going to make about just knowing the room and that's not always possible I know that a lot of people do leagues just with you know a bunch of random people they join a follower league for like a fantasy football account and they don't know any of the people they're working with but for home leagues and where leagues where you know the people that you're going going into it with like you can really just kind of use their tendencies against them especially when it comes to like being a fan of a football team 
I didn't know if Farazi were a Jets fan, but now it makes sense why you like Elijah Moore so much. So <laughs> I could use that <laughs> against you technically if I wanted to. Just like people know I'm a Cowboys fan, they might use that against me. I've been harping on Zeke for a little while. I might take him, I might not, but you know, it happens. So knowing if just knowing the room, what they like to do, or even what they've done building their roster in the past, if you've played with them before, you know, you could really use it use that against them and kind of let the board fall your way. It'll give you more insight as to who might be available at your pick. And then, you know, you could play. Even if you are at the turn, like if you, you, you could look at a player a little bit further down the board and maybe get away with it. If you, if like you could sit there and take the guy that you want in the second round at the turn, and then maybe the guy that's there at the third will be there if you know that other people aren't so high on him, if that makes sense. It, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult to explain, but just knowing the room definitely gives you a bit of an edge. Yeah, no, 100%. If you're playing in a home league and you play with the same people, you know, you, you kind of maybe maybe even look back at, at your old drafts, right? And you might be able to find a little bit of uh, some correlation, right? A little bit like th- th- they're going to be pissed. Like if you're looking at the old drafts, they're going to be like, oh, okay, you're serious. Yeah. <laughs> you're serious about <laughs> this, right? Maybe you look at the guys like who are drafting around you, right? If you're at the nine spot. You look at the the guy who's drafted at the eighth spot, you know, the girl who's being drafted, who's drafting at the 10th spot, and you see what they did, right, in the previous few years. Maybe they, they've always been running back heavy early, right? So you know that you could potentially, you know, snipe them, you know, or, right. you know, and you know that a running back is not going to f- come back around to you in the next round at the ninth pick, right? Um, so, yeah, things like that. Yeah, I, I was just looking at actually. Exactly. Did you, my did, you, old- did, you did you have another one or no? No, I was just going to jump in and say, like, I was actually doing exactly what you said, looking at old draft boards. And it's just funny sometimes looking back and seeing what people got away with. Like, I know the one guy in my league took Justin Jefferson in the fourth round last year. Don't know how that happened and that kind of thing. So it's, it's, <laughs> I, I'm actually, I'm like studying this, seeing what they do and who they took. Quarterbacks went really high in, in my league last year. I couldn't believe how high they went. But, um, Definitely, like, there's insights to be had there. If you really want to dig deep and get into this and try to win your league and take advantage of other people's tendencies, you could do this. Like, it works. I feel like I'm going to be using this as a resource. But I I think that there's so many different ways you can get an edge, and you just have to pick the ones that work the best for you. 100%. 100%. All right. I hope that helps you guys. I hope that, you know, you can use some of these strategies, uh, you know, to help you win your leagues this year. Uh, you know, continue to, to stay up to date with, with training camp. Pay attention to those Instagram stories that I'll be continuing to put out as the updates come through from training camp. And as updates do come in, I'll be talking about it on my Instagram stories and I'll provide like, you know, kind of an instant, you know, analysis in terms of like what I think, you know, that means, right? In terms of let's say someone gets hurt or somebody is looking great in camp, those, those types of things. It's going to be an everyday thing now at this point, you know, moving forward all the way up until the start of the season. So make sure you you stay tuned with that. And obviously, we're going to be talking about a lot of that on the podcast as well. So stay tuned. Uh, Zach, this was a fun episode, man. Um, I I think a lot of people got value out of this one. Uh, If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out uh, on Instagram via DM or via comment, uh, you know, and and we can stay in touch. But uh, until uh, Thursday... We'll see you guys uh, with some more training camp updates and uh, another topic for you guys to help you help you win your league. So appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. If you if you can leave a review uh, for the podcast, that would be awesome. That would really help us a lot out a ton. Uh, so yeah, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you on Thursday.
See ya.